Hello everyone and welcome back to the Mystery Theory Podcast. Today we're going to talk about the secret power of words and there are seven but today I'm going to talk about five different factors that really will tell you a lot on how people can read you, your attitudes, even your tone of voice. If you talk or if you speak in a metaphor, there are certain things that will give you away. Now, this episode is kind of inspired by doing the research on the Chris uh, Watts case, uh, Watts family murders. People started uh, going through footage of Chris and kind of trying to play detective then Nicole Kessinger came along and people started to uh, judge what they saw in the different interviews and everything and I'm assuming that investigators I can I can I can only imagine an FBI you know interrogator listening to all that nonsense (laughs) that some people stretched it so much it was such a long shot. I mean, uh, probably were like, well, this people is going crazy or something. I can only believe that investigators are thinking of that because really there is a lot of things out there that claim that they got out of an interview and that, and yes, you can, but there are certain things that you must know. And I'm sure that we will never know a hundred percent but there are a few things that are public knowledge and that I want to share with you today. Now words are very powerful. According to experts they really are essential to all survival nowadays and um, they are so powerful yet they are so insignificant uh, in more of a physical sense. Let me explain. Words are a set of vibrations produced by a warm stream of air that comes, um, that moves, I'm sorry, the vocal cords in our throats to make them oscillate in a typical frequency between 85 and 255 hertz. That is the simple way that um, it's used for getting the words out, right? There's the physical process. But listen, only 140 milliseconds after the sound enters a listener's ears, the brain has already processed all of the spoken words. So, the effect of that simple process is immediate and powerful. This is going to be fascinating. We're going to talk about some of uh, somebody that helped Barack Obama with his campaign. We're going to talk about you know, President Bush, how he changed the way he spoke on what happened on 9-11. Um, there are a lot of things that we will explore today, but um, I think we all can agree that words used to bully somebody can drive people to suicide and you know keep in mind that i said 
words used by a bully. The words are what literally can make somebody commit suicide. Now, in the battlefield, uh, words can drive soldiers to fight to the last drop of their blood. We know that. And words can even reprogram our psyche without our ourselves being aware of it and make us share our most intimate secrets without even wanting to. So again, there are seven factors that we will cover in... Uh, there are seven factors, but we will cover five of them. Now, let me give you a good example, and I'll tell you a personal story, a brief one. I tried to record this, and it was very long, so I had to re restart. But uh, one of the examples was Tamar, Thomas Cabers. He was at the doctor's office, and after being tested for a bunch of things, the doctor didn't have good news. So he came into the office and said, you have a time bomb ticking in your body. He paused and then said, cancer. Thomas, the patient, uh, leaves the office so sad. Um, he couldn't get those old words out of his mind. And six months later, Thomas is dead. And when they did the autopsy on the guy just to make sure the, 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 the cause of death, his tumors were so tiny that they couldn't have ever metastasized. So they run this investigation where I'm hoping that they didn't use this exact phrase in every single case study that they did because otherwise I would be really mad. But I doubt that they didn't because they run this investigation and they, in quite a few cases, people died. And they came to the conclusion that, quote, people sometimes die not because of cancer, but because they believe that cancer is going to kill them. They also concluded that if the doctor hadn't used the expression, a time bomb ticking, and would have explained the treatment instead and focus on the treatment options, the patient might still be alive. So by using the right words, a speaker can establish dominance of an attack, can give some words of hope. I mean, it can be used in so many different scenarios, even in politics. Well, let me tell you a story about the doctor. I'm not going to give you the details, but back in November 2017, I spent a week in the hospital. I was running a fever. They didn't know where was my infection. I had a big lump in my neck, but they just didn't know where my infection was. Um, the hospital staff was amazing. They never lied to me. They told me, we don't know what it is, but we're going to try every single antibiotic to make you better. I was having very high fevers. I was hallucinating seeing animals sitting in my room and it was so so I felt so close to death at that point that you wouldn't even believe <laughs> and just to make sure I got the idea of how serious it was the first day well actually the first night at around 10 p.m the nurse came and brought me a book where I basically can choose 
what would happen to me if I slipped into a coma? Is my husband gonna make the decisions? Do I want to make my decision right now of what to do? Feed me, not feed me? Resuscitate me, not resuscitate me? I have to tell you that I had something inside of me that was telling me that this was very serious. Uh, I, this was the fourth, third or fourth doctor that I visited that day in, well, over the period that I was sick, not that day. And I knew that if they, they couldn't find my veins, it was such a horrible situation that um, I knew it was serious. But I know, I know it made it worse when I got that paper. It was almost like they were telling me, well, we don't, we're not sure you're going to make it out of here. And I'm sure that it has more of a legal, um, I don't know, more of a legal thing than anything else. But we have to be really careful in what we do because it really <laughs> can affect us. Um, I remember losing hope that night. I remember being like, well, this is when I have to go. Then I'll have to go. And I'm not that way. I'm always positive. I'm always thinking about the best. Uh, when people tell me they have stage four cancer, I pray because I think there is a way out. When most humans know that that's kind of a death sentence. So, I personally understand the effect that words have on you. I had a little realization the next day that I had to fight, and I remember fighting until I got better a week later. <laughs> But um, they could never explain what was wrong with me. So, I understand the power of words. So, if you're sick and they tell you that kind of news, If you are being bullied and they tell you those words just to hurt you. If you're a soldier and they need to encourage you to keep fighting, even though your body is giving up. Words are very, very powerful. They're a simple process in our body, but they are very powerful. Another example was uh, John Fabro, the guy that came up with the phrase, yes, we can, used in the Obama's campaign. I mean, I think he, I read he was the second, uh, um, the second best paid in the White House after the president. <laughs> I mean, long story short, we underestimate the power of words, but they are the most powerful tools we have. Sometimes we don't know it. And some people use them to manipulate others. Even if they know that they're doing that or not. So, let me go through number one. Okay, so if words are so powerful, how can I make a suspect talk? This is more for, you know, our true crime part of things. You know, the FBI, the experts way. According to expert, in this uh In principle, the brain is always seeking to express its current train of thought, okay? That's what they believe, that our brains are wired to talk and say what we're thinking. But 
These experts also say that it's very important for an interrogator to build a bridge that allows that train to keep moving. That train of thought needs to find the person who would make them talk. So if we think about it, that would mean that our brain wants to tell the truth, right? There is a reason behind why we did it. If we committed a crime, if we did something wrong, there's a reason in our brain that will give us the excuse for what we did. So I'm sure people with common sense will understand, but we have a monitor, okay? This monitor tells us that, oh, that is okay. You can say that. Or, hey, my friend, no, don't say that. That is a bad idea and we will have negative consequences. So even though our brain wants to say everything that it's running through our mind, we do have that monitor in our brain that really stops. And some people have that monitor more uh, harsher than others. And let me explain. I am one of that person. We can have a full-on conversation and I won't... I, I, I am a very private person. I won't tell you everything. We'll talk about that specific thing. But I will never reveal what's important to me about that. I can t- talk metaphorically. And I guess uh, that, that is what they mean by that. It doesn't mean that it only applies when you are interrogating somebody. Uh, people always say, well, you're a Scorpio. That's why you're so secretive. <laughs> I don't know why. I am not secretive, but I value what I love and what I think and what I and if I think that the person is receptive and they will listen, then maybe I will talk about it. But I feel like sometimes um how can I say it? Um people ask you but they don't really want to know like, "Hey, how are you?" Uh, "Hey. You don't don't really care how I am." Do you? You know that kind of thing? I just feel like sometimes it sounds silly, but I waste my time talking or telling something to somebody who really doesn't care. So yes, I have that monitor very well exercise. (laughs) So how can we have that train of thought continuously running in the case of an interrogation when... um, we do have them under, we all do. Well, there are a few strategies like, you know about them, there are stress, alcohol, and sleep deprivation that will weaken somebody's mind to the point that the monitor won't be able to function properly. Basically, it needs fuel to work. It was like the Amanda Knox thing that they kept her for so long that she ended up confessing. Um not saying that she's guilty or not. I'm just saying that that's one of the strategies that they use for her. So when you go through these things, they can loosen up your tongue, right? When you go through stress and this is a very used strategy and it's not to torture the suspect really. It's just to break their brain monitoring system that protects them from telling the truth. Sometimes the interrogator is very impatient. He speaks rapidly. He interrupts frequently. He, re- I mean, criticizes the suspect just to make it easier to stress the person and at the same time push them to defend themselves by talking. 
that was something that I could never understand. I would watch these interrogations and then I'm like, okay, stop it. Let him talk. You know, interrogator is very impatient and he's always interrupting. And I'm like, why do you ask if you don't want to listen to what they have to say? But now I can tell it's just a strategy that they use. Now, they have different methods. One of them is the RPM method that I am sure that this is what they use for Chris Watt when the investigator uh, offered the idea or shared a case that wasn't real where the mother is mother, the kids, and because she was afraid of a divorce or custody thing. Well, um, this RPM method is, number one, R is for rationalize. He presents a plausible reason to justify why the suspect committed the crime. And they will say something like, it was an extreme situation. Well, under the circumstances, you acted completely normal. P, which is projection, is hold someone else responsible for the action by transferring the burden of guilt. And they will say something like, clearly you were provoked. It was your only way out. Now, number three is M, or minimization, which is an attempt to trivialize the event, trivialize the event. And they will say something like, it's not that bad. Um, around the world, this happens a hundred times a day. Well, who cares, right? But apparently that's what they say. Because of this technique, the crime becomes an accident. A mistake. This is the best way to create a red carpet effect for the brain to parade its, th its thoughts. They take the bait and they confess. I am pretty sure that that's exactly what they did when they gave that idea to Chris that maybe Shanann did it. And that's what started Chris uh, into this conversation with investigators and ultimately led to the confession. But what happens when criminals don't bite? Because there are some that are really, really tough. So they use a read technique, the technique that can lead even the toughest criminals to break their silence. Well, this is the idea of a good and bad cop. Uh, they tell the suspect that he's guilty to build the pressure and to get them really mad. If he doesn't confess, they leave the room with a com and before they leave, they tell him the consequences for not telling the truth. Then comes back and tells him, well, they get really close to the suspect and tells him, uh, you know, continues to pressure the suspect and uh, tell that person how they have so much stuff on him and that kind of thing then uh, this bad cop that is getting up to his face and yelling and telling him how much they know that he's guilty is replaced by a good cop who gives him two alternatives number one it's a morally acceptable reason for the crime and confess and number two is still confess but make a highly reprehensible excuse or reason for doing it either way if you've been paying attention he must confess and it works 
Now let's go to factor number two, which talks about metaphors, which is something I use all the time, all the time. Sometimes I don't even realize it. But on September 11, 2001, um, I clearly remember when President Bush, you know, was giving him different speeches and was talking about what the, the horrible thing that happened on 9-11. But in one of those um, public announcements that he did, he used the phrase, the crusade against terror. Which if you try to give a more deep meaning, it's a meaning a, a terrorist hunt as a holy war. This, by the way, is the kind of words that terrorists use themselves. Do you remember that day? I remember. I was working at Sonic Drive-In when it happened. At first, um, they were calling that day. At first, they called the people that die their victims. And then, later on the day, they changed it to losses. Now an expert was going through this kind of uh, game with words and he explained that victims uh, are uh, are used more for a crime and losses are used more for wars. So it was almost like President Bush, in the way that he spoke that day, he was transforming this from a civilian thing to a military footing. At 8.30 p.m., uh, President Bush said to, and I'm going to quote, to win the war against terrorism. Then he used the word crusade, a word that conjures images of Christian military expeditions to the Holy Land in the Middle Ages. So can you see how the way that we use the words are kind of sending a different message? So when we speak in metaphors, according to expert, we influence in the attitudes of whoever is listening. According to a psychologist in Stanford University, metaphors can kill. Metaphors affect our thoughts. There's a number of studies that really uh, support this. This metaphor structure and influence the information we use to make decisions. So, they're not only powerful, but we we influence even more in the people that is listening. Metaphors address our brain in different levels. The, the more effective the stimulus, the greater the number of senses that will be stimulated. So, for example... That sounds like a whole bunch of nonsense. So I'll give you an example. Um, the coffee is cold. You have it right in front of you. But will stimulate the sense of smell. You can smell coffee, right? But knowing it's cold will provoke a sensation of distaste. distaste. Uh, it's cold coffee. Ew. You know, it's, it used to be hot, but now it's cold and it's ugh. So you're using more of one of your senses to determine what you think about the coffee. Will you drink it? Will you not drink it? Will you throw it away? If we move on to other kinds of thoughts, like the test was a real letdown. This was another example that they gave in this article. These words activate the prefrontal cortex that regulates our goal-related thoughts and actions. 
but also the motor cortex, which is responsible for the execution of voluntary movements. So even when we speak in metaphors, those are even more clear to our brains and will generate an immediate response. So factor number three, how do, how do words manipulate the brain of whoever is listening to them? Well, let's do a test. If I ask you, would you help a friend in need? You reply, of course I would. Now, try to do it while you shake your head in a negative gesture. It will take some time before you can say yes and no at the same time. The truth is that words can steer the body in a certain direction very fast and often overriding rational contradictory thoughts. So you can get better at this and become a professional liar to even your body. But it takes time and patience. And a lot of practice, of course. So while your body may be saying um, no or yeah, saying no and you're saying of course I would that is a contradiction and it really is hard for the body to take it and again, you can get good at it but it's really one of the hardest things to do so now I ask you these questions what falls from sky in winter? What color is a wedding dress? And what do cows drink? Well, this was a study and 90% of people would say that although the correct answer is number three, it's clearly water. Um, most people, again, said snow white milk. But why does people say that? Well, the first two questions lead us to an association with the color white, right? When the brain thinks of a cow, thinks about milk, and then milk is white. So we associate, we assume. Another example of how words are so, so manipulative and how they can take advantage of them to make us buy whatever mm, they're smart enough to put together for us to want. Another example is advertising mechanism. Tropical sensation tea versus fireside warmth. This was a test. And according to people, tropical sensation tasted more like exotic, fruity, and refreshing. And they wouldn't drink so much fireside tea because it didn't taste the same way. The fruity and exotic one was better. However, it was exactly the same tea with a different name and bottle. There's even people in this world who get paid to coming up with these names with a certain combination of words that would entice people to buy it. Another interesting fact is if you sell baked goods that say grandma's recipe, they sell way better compared to those that do not say those words in the packaging. And they even run a test on this only to find out that the same recipe all along sold better when they put grandma's recipe compared to the other one. So, words even used in a packaging have an enormous effect on us. Now, factor number four, how do you handle a hostage taker? Now, that of course is a job in itself, and it's called a crisis negotiator. Uh, 
their duty is to stop basically the uh, hostage taker taker and listen to their demands ensure that they feel like they're you know somebody's listening but not to give them anything that will lead them to get out and they are supposed to be expert as letting time pass without getting into any incidents in some cases there is a lot of hostages but most of the time it's only one so it's better to contain the situation to only that one hostage instead of letting this guy loose and killing killing a whole lot more people now for these people there there's only three different scenarios number one the taker gets arrested number two he gets killed during a rescue attempt and number three the taker kills himself now the people that is being held hostage or the person and the ones involved in the whole thing have a 97 97% survival so it's not that bad however in this case the longer that he or she remains with the hostages the more likely is for the negotiator to establish a connection with the taker the negotiator is um, trained to adopt the vocabulary of the hostage um, the hostage taker along with his style of speech and speaking speed so it's basically that you know these people are paid to negotiate and one of the ways that they do that is by adopting what the way that the hostage taker uses his words which by the way it's pretty hard to get immediately so i'm guessing that is why the more time that they spend uh, it's the better chances for survival now some tactics are uh, number one to make them feel that they are in control to number two to believe in them and that nothing bad is going to happen only if it was an accident or if there's an accident number three is praise them for not hurting people and doing the right thing number four they want a solution for everyone and not only for the hostages they want to help the hostage taker number five whatever they promise they have to deliver so they must be careful in what they say that they will do because if the hostage taker thinks that they are lying they they, they can lose it and most importantly the negotiator will lose their most important weapon the most powerful one which is the spoken word number five before we do our little closing and kind of put everything together factor number five is why does the tongue sometimes defeat the brain according to psychologist daniel wenger our subconscious mind is programmed to always think the worst so according to this study at a talking rate of 150 words a minute we usually misspeak every seven minutes they're natural mistakes and you won't remember most of them after that here is the thing though what is really going on in our brain when we misspeak well when we prepare to utter a thought the average person, according to this research, draws upon a store vocabulary of perhaps 42,000 words. 
the top 5% of English speakers know about 52,000, the bottom 5%, 27,000, according to a recent study. So the part of the brain that is in charge at the moment, um, it's working. But sometimes there is another part of the brain that will win over and create a new word similar to the mutation of DNA. This is kind of a mutation of words that will come up from the original word and another one when you're trying to put them together to save time when you're trying to share a thought. In conclusion, I think that there's a lot that we must understand in these different cases that we share or that I share on my YouTube channel or here true crime cases that sometimes we look at the footage and you're like well why didn't this guy realize look at that he is crossing his arms or she is flirting with the officer well it well they, they know they know and thankfully words are one of the things that will give you away one way or another i read this article that said that sometimes investigators had no proof but because of what you say they know you did it so basically you make their life easier or lives easier by talking and even if they don't have any evidence or all they have is circumstantial evidence like in the case of chris watts his um, words gave him away the strategy that they used to give them the idea of maybe Shanann killed the girls and you only killed Shanann because you were upset. It only made him feel better about what, you know, he did. He transferred that guilt to somebody else. He, I am sure that he really uh, uh, believed that he killed Shanann because, you know, she pushed him to do it. But this is a thing that happens every single day, sadly, because there's criminals all over the place and there's police officers interrogating thousands, if not millions of people right now as I am recording this podcast. So even when we try to play detective, you must know that there are certain things that will give us away. But one of the most important ones are words. What you say, how you express yourself in a specific situation, whatever the case may be, you being the victim, you being the criminal, or you being a suspect and not really the criminal. So the importance of words really affect all kinds of parts of us. They affect our health. They affect the way that we fight for a country. They affect the way that... We look at ourselves when we're being bullied. They change us and they affect us. So as much as I like to think that I'm a very strong person that do not care what other people think about me, I really don't. I think that even when you feel that way, words can affect you, can make you change your mind. A simple conversation can make you change your mind on something that you knew from the beginning. 
was going to be the certain way and now you all of a sudden you change your mind. How important is to know that as parents, as teachers, as adults, we have to set a good example of using our words carefully around every single kid around us. <laughs> it's not only for grown-ups and the way we're trying to hide stuff from others or not. It's how we have the power of healing. We have the power of helping people. We have the power of giving them hope. Let our kids dream about being whatever they want to be in this life. A carpenter, electrician, a biologist, an engineer. You just let them dream. And not use your words to instill fear on them. Now we know how powerful our words are. How they can not only give us away. But how powerful are as far as affecting other people. Uh, I'm going to close with something that I always <clears throat> think about. The Bible says that the hardest muscle to control, and I'm not going to go into detail exactly how it says it, but <laughs> it's the tongue. And it really is. The gossip talking about other people, how they look, if they're getting chubbier, if they have grace, if they, whatever you're trying to, all those kind of things, you should know that they're not only not helping other people, but they're pulling you down. So maybe it's time to use our words in the right way. Use them to build ourselves up to build others up and um, stop trying to play really the detective role when sometimes the investigation go in a different way and we get frustrated which I do all the time this kind of article opened my mind and showed me that sooner or later, our words will give us away. Maybe not directly with the police, maybe not directly with an investigator, but maybe something you say to somebody, that somebody then it has a connection and then all of a sudden you're being investigated and then everything makes sense. Our brain wants to share what it's thinking, no matter how twisted, how sick it is. Don't you think that Chris Watts was very glad to spend five hours with a couple of people he could talk to after being alone for so long talking to himself for so long we're social we need that we're humans we need that connection with each other and i think that's why it's so hard for me to understand when they get life in prison and they're isolated I always think, what do they do with our time? <laughs> so I hope that this clears things up. And help us use this information in our own lives. Because yes, it's informative. And sometimes we can get some few, you know, a few thoughts that we can use in our lives from 
tragedies that happen in different true crime cases and you know I'm always for trying to find the positive in something horrible that happened it really shouldn't have happened but it did so what can we do about it how can we help the people that really made that horrible decision what is it in them that they did that so now (laughs) maybe this is more applicable for us and the way that we use our words and every time you open your mouth you know that it's not just your vocal cords being moved by a warm you know it's more than a process you know whenever I, I talk to one of my kids they're like talking nonsense I'm like you're wasting oxygen just I have teenagers by the way I wouldn't say that to a little kid You're wasting resources by making absolutely no sense. (laughs) I just think that it was so cool to understand this. And I hope that it helps you as much as it helped me to understand more in the interrogations, true crime related. And 90% to help me use my words in a better way. I watch them. Believe me, I watch my words. I uh, I have good self-control and I have a very good monitor system. <laughs> uh, especially around people that I know that they ask when they don't care. If I feel like somebody's asking because they do care, well, you know that. Because every time you ask a question in the comment and I think you do care, then I'll answer. <laughs> in a very long manner. So thank you so much for being here today, guys. I will see you back here on Sunday, next Sunday.